I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Back in the saddle. Time to ride. It's high noon for Monday, June 28th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also occasionally find me on Gab at I'm your moderator and the merch site is www dot cancel dot com and a big thank you to everyone who has been sharing the show i get to watch the numbers increasingly rise which you know obviously feels good it's me it's my project when it does better i'm happy but i really appreciate everyone out there who finds value in my work and is Exposing their friends to it and their finding value out of it really means a lot to me. The other thing that I wonder about is perhaps maybe we have a lot of people who are becoming more open-minded to the position expressed on this podcast and the position that I know most of the people in my audience hold. And that's nothing but a good thing. Obviously, we can see the poll numbers going in our direction, but... In January, after the inauguration, shows like mine and a lot of others on the right, Trump-supporting shows, took a real hit as people kind of lost faith and lost interest and didn't want to spend any more time thinking about this stuff, believing that the battle was totally lost. So hopefully it's some of those people coming back too because I think that people on our side have strong reason to believe that this is all going in our direction. Today is the 159th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth, that's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You spent years trying to make everyone around you believe that you were heroic simply for repeating the slogans. And now you're finding out that's not how heroism works, which must be extremely disappointing, which could explain all the psychotic anger being expressed from communists lately. All a last gasp effort to cling to that idea that somehow they were actually the good and moral and smart ones. But all of that's falling apart. Now that said, I nonetheless would love to extend a warm Monday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. I hope you had a nice weekend where everyone you were around in person 
if you're brave enough to be around other people. Told you that, yeah, they're kind of like, and maybe Joe Biden didn't win. Yeah, maybe COVID wasn't that dangerous. Maybe all these months and years of nothing making sense is an indicator that they're wrong. (laughs) Maybe they're coming to terms with that. I would love to know if you are noticing that because I am. I was around a number of people this weekend that I don't think I would immediately expect to be open to my viewpoint. And I was wrong. And I had some really good conversations. We didn't see eye to eye on everything. But very productive stuff. And I think that people really are looking for a solution or an explanation to all of the stuff that's been going on because they're understanding that the main explanation simply doesn't make sense and it doesn't. And I think that they're realizing that's true across the board. Now I ended Friday's show talking about how the communist at the daily beast was suggesting that A segment on OAN about election fraud being treason and treason having an actual penalty was somehow an encouragement or an incitement to violence in the streets or mob justice when it was, of course, nothing of the sort. And it's odd to me that the treason argument is a pretty straightforward discussion about how the law works and what exactly happened in the theft of the election. It's a case where the prescribed penalty is execution. That is the penalty for treason, the highest crime against the nation. So George Floyd was sentenced at the end of last week and the communist left is up in arms because they don't believe that the jail sentence for Derek Chauvin was a harsh enough penalty. And by and large, the communists oppose the death penalty. So I'm confused about what they want his penalty to be. But also, a friend of mine this weekend sent me two posts back-to-back, two headlines that really shed some light about how inconsistent and unprincipled the communist argument continually is. You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a couple of weeks ago, said that the answer to reducing crime was to build fewer prisons and close the ones we have because I guess her belief is that prisons yield recidivism rather than rehabilitation and or that taking away someone's liberty by locking them up is a bad thing, although they're not too consistent on that view when it comes to the coronavirus. Murderers, you know, 
things that actually kill humans, they don't deserve to be imprisoned. But people carrying a mildly deadly virus should be locked in their homes forever. So right there, that's a problem. But if the penalty for Derek Chauvin isn't harsh enough and jail's not the answer, then what is the answer? It seems like they're saying it might be death. So what you have leftists doing to signal their virtue is telling everyone that Derek Chauvin deserves to die for what they saw on the video. And of course, George Floyd being the hero he is, it makes it all that much more serious. But at the same time, if you commit treason against the United States of America, calling for the actual penalty for treason, which is execution, that's off the table. You can't talk about that. That's a call to violence. That's a call to mob justice. They're not really making a hell of a lot of sense there. And I wanted to highlight a piece at The Blaze by Jason Whitlock. This piece was actually released last Tuesday. And it's called Veneration of George Floyd is Racist and Must Be Stopped. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I really, really suggest everyone gives this a read. Jason Whitlock is awesome, and the article is awesome and really, truly poignant. And the central thesis of this piece is expressed in this paragraph. So I'll just highlight this and then encourage you guys to go to the info stream on Telegram, uh, t.me slash I'm your moderator, and you can find it. I posted it there this morning. Uh, the politicians, activists, celebrity influencers, and media personalities, the exploiters of George Floyd, are determined to transform an amateur porn star, violent criminal, and drug abuser into a national hero. They do so because they have no respect for black men or black people. Give it a read. It is awesome. And it's so good that me attempting to add to it in some way would probably be less good than the work Whitlock already did. Now, also on Friday, I mentioned the fact that there had been reports that we would be seeing a preliminary report on the audit in Maricopa County, potentially today or maybe this week. Uh, Karen Fan, the Senate president in Arizona, came out with a statement saying that it would not be today. And I believe it's currently... Uh, unclear whether or not it will be this week, but let's hope it's coming soon. It's going to be pretty earth shattering, I imagine. So we'll see what happens there. But the good thing to know is that the ballot examination and the ballot count are both finished. And if there is a preliminary report coming, I suppose it's possible it could happen at any time. And that piece of information will be huge. But the biggest news of the weekend, of course, was Donald Trump's first rally in five and a half months in Ohio. I want to play a few clips from that, because while the speech overall was 
pretty much what we're accustomed to, a mix of the things he would say leading up to the election, and then obviously stuff along similar lines about the events since that time and how things have progressed. But there were some real highlights that are definitely ramping up the narrative, particularly around election fraud. COVID in order to cheat. They use COVID in order to rig the election and in order to steal the election. They use COVID. That's as simple as it gets. Now, unless I've missed something, which is possible, that is the first time Donald Trump has put that all together that directly. He has talked, obviously, for the last year about how they're using COVID to pass things like mail-in balloting. That's not new. But this is so direct. This is the claim that many of us have been making the entire time, and on some level Trump has. But saying specifically that they use the pandemic to steal the election is the furthest he's gone in this narrative. And obviously I love it because he's exactly right. And this is a necessary part of the narrative. It needs to get out there in public. And of course, Trump, as always, jokes about how the cameras, the mainstream media cameras that are filming the rally, the little red light will always go off when he starts talking about this stuff. And of course, I doubt that CNN was probably broadcasting this live in the first place. But it's true that this is the stuff they don't want the rest of the country hearing. They came out. They had everybody out yesterday. Al Gore, Mitt Romney, every other communist failure. Talking about how Trump was telling the big lie and he wouldn't stop telling the big lie. And they've actually amped this up to the point where They're now saying that the big lie is going to cause QAnon violence because the QAnons have come to realize that the plan failed. And now they are all going to go riot in the streets and try to start a civil war, even though there has been absolutely no indication whatsoever at any point in time that anyone on our side is trying to go that direction. It's actually the exact opposite. We are all trying to build a grassroots movement and create a groundswell of public understanding so that we can avoid all of those worst case scenarios. And they are worst case scenarios. No one wants violence in the streets, which is why all of us were condemning it last year when Black Lives Matter was doing it. There is no appetite for any of that on our side. But what else do they have left? They ran stories Friday and over the weekend about how the DHS had notified Congress that this was the new major threat to the country. This is the most grave threat to our entire society. Disappointed and disillusioned QAnons wanting to start a civil war. 
There is no one on our side who thinks that. Every single person with their eyes open can see that this is headed in our direction. The polling numbers all indicate that, as I discussed last week. And if you are spending time around people, you can understand that their position on election fraud is headed in our direction as well. So there is no loss of hope on the MAGA side of things. And of course, they're going to describe it as QAnon. That's irrelevant. People aren't getting violent and they're not even showing signs of getting violent. Instead, they're going to school board meetings and trying to create action at the local level, which is exactly what smart, committed, patriotic Americans should be doing. This is exactly the kind of political action that the left has always praised and supported. So they're not going to continue to praise and support it when we're doing it. They have to entirely recast this thing as something it is not. And then there's this. Blacklisting and persecuting people who call them out on their flagrant lies and deceit. Like the results of the election, people are getting called out for question, but they don't, again, they don't question people with Hillary and they don't question many other people that falsely claim, because I say that's real falsely claim. She couldn't even get back in the big, and we have big back in. We have a big, big group of people and good people, patriotic people. The biggest tragedy of all is millions of Americans have lost confidence in their vote. We can't let that happen. And that's why I say you have to know what took place in 2020 before you can vote in 2022 or 2024. You have to know. You know, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends, great people and patriots, and they love me and everything is good. They say, President, don't look back. Look forward. You're leading in every poll. You're going to win the election so big in 24. Don't look back. And you know what I say? You have to look back. You have to look back. We won the election in 2020. Who the hell knows what's going to be in 2024? We won't even have a country left. We're not going to have a country left. And if we don't figure it out, we're not going to be in a position to win in 2022 or 2024. We'll never stop fighting for the true results of this election, and it's moving along rapidly, whether it's Democrats or rhinos who stand in our way. And you know, in many cases, the rhinos are worse than the Democrats. They think they can run our country like a dictatorship, but the American people are very smart, courageous, and unafraid, and we will not let that happen. We can't, we can't. Remember, I'm not the one trying to undermine American democracy. I'm the one that's trying to save American democracy. Now, I have no clue how anyone could take that as some sort of call to arms or call for violence. He's not saying anything remotely like that. He's literally only calling for forensic audits of the 2020 election, which is what his entire base is calling for. 
Now, 55% of Americans are willing to tell a pollster that that's what they want, with another 17% being unsure. The only people who don't want forensic audits are commie Biden voters. And the Rasmussen poll had that number at 29%. You know, these polls are funny because you see the top line number, like 55% of Americans want forensic audits. And great, that number is important. The number of people unsure is also important. But I think looking at those polling numbers in the opposite direction is the way to do it. 29% of the country is opposed to forensic audits. That's the number that matters. The 55 is nice. The 17, you think, oh, whatever. It's 55 to, to, to 29. But it's really 71 to 29 because opposing the forensic audits, those are the people who don't want the truth to come out. Everyone else is either on board with what we're saying. The election was definitely defrauded and we definitely need to know exactly where and how and by how much. Only 29 percent of people don't want that. That is a small minority. They happen to be the most vocal, and that minority also happens to have their hands on the levers of power when it comes to culture. So they're able to influence everyone with the narrative about how the election was just fine, and apparently 29% of people either actually believe that, which I have said a million times is suspect, or they're the people that don't care and want to cover it up either for their own personal benefit or because they're just that corrupt. But the most important piece of that clip is when Donald Trump said, we will never stop fighting to get to the truth of the 2020 election. And that is true for Trump. That is true for everyone who supports the MAGA America First movement. There can be no country without free elections. You can't have a free country that way. This is the people's only voice. And the Uniparty has worked for decades to take that voice away from the people and make sure that the only option the people are given is the one the Uniparty wants. There is no 2022 election without fixing election fraud. There's no 2024 election without fixing election fraud. And it's not enough for some states to pass some measures that lead toward election integrity. The DOJ is already suing Georgia over voter ID. But Georgia hasn't even gotten rid of all the human election fraud machine Stacey Abrams' new laws, new rules, new styles of voting. Georgia's not fixed Georgia's a little better than it was before, but it's not fixed. Georgia's a mess, and we're on our way to finding out exactly how big a mess Georgia was. All of that is necessary. There is no way to go forward until forensic audits are happening in every state. Gotta get them all. Now, Mike Lindell was on War Room this morning, 
And he said a couple of really interesting things. He's planning on announcing his cyber symposium on July 4th, announcing the date of it. Uh, Apparently, it's going to be sometime in late August. But his strategy is to have everyone around the country pressure their representatives into attending the cyber symposium so that they have to go and be accountable. It has to be clear to the American public that they went to see the evidence for themselves. They have to show up. They have to put their reputation on the line and say that they are at least open to viewing the evidence, right? And Lindell actually described this, and this caught my ear. I think it's interesting. He described this as a second chance for many of these politicians to prove that they actually care about the future of the country. I like that strategy because we know for sure that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates will go. We know that people like Mo Brooks will go. There are, I think, probably 50 or 60 members of Congress on the Republican side who we can expect to attend the cyber symposium to see the cyber proof of election fraud. Lindell actually said today on War Room that the final result is 80 million votes to 68 million votes. And I have no reason to believe he's wrong about that. I think, though, that that is only the count that considers the machine manipulation, right? The Democrat vote could drop substantially after that once all of the fraudulent votes are taken out as well. But, of course, that's speculation on my part. It could be that Lindell has the full count in every way possible. I'm not sure how he could have that without the results of the Arizona-style audits, where they're not as focused on the machines, at least to this point, and they are primarily focused on fake ballots that were entered into the system illegally. So I actually think that the Democrat vote is going to drop substantially, but I might be wrong about that. It seems absolutely impossible to me that Donald Trump could have increased his vote by 17 million votes and Joe Biden somehow still got 68 million, which would be 2 million more than what they claim Hillary got in 2016. I think that Donald Trump won the popular vote in 2016 and Michael Flynn actually came out with a message on Telegram this weekend saying the same thing. Not only did Donald Trump win the Electoral College in 2016, he also won the popular vote. This is how much the Democrats have been cheating. This is how long they've been cheating for. In 2016, that would mean over 3 million fraudulent ballots counted for Hillary Clinton or otherwise shifted to Hillary Clinton. We're supposed to believe, though, that Trump added 17 million to his total, at least. And Joe Biden still found another 2 million. So I think even at that low number, which is 13 million votes less than what than what we're currently told by the media, by the way, that is a huge, huge number. But even at that number, I think Biden's vote total 
according to Lindell, is still impossibly high. That still means that around 20 million more votes were cast in 2020. I can believe that Donald Trump's vote skyrocketed. That makes sense. That makes total sense if you watch our society at all, if you're paying any attention. The logic on the commie side, though, has always been that everyone hates Donald Trump so much that there was this massive movement of new voters to vote for Joe Biden or this massive turn by Republicans away from Trump. People who might have voted for him in 2016 and then voted against him in 2020. But where would that group of people even come from if Donald Trump is increasing his vote by 17 million? Even if we're just to believe it was 11 or 12 million, by what the commie count tells us, that's still way too many people for their explanation to make any sense. You can't add that many millions of votes to your total and then have the other guy add millions of votes to his total when the only logic in voting for the other guy is that the country actually hates Trump. That's not possible for the country to hate Trump enough even though Trump gets 12 million more votes or 17 million more votes. It just doesn't make any sense. And I have no doubt that over the next few months, we're going to find out that's exactly right. There's no way Joe Biden could have ever gotten anywhere close to 81 million votes. And I actually think he got way fewer than 68 million votes. But right where Lindell says we are, that's a 12 million vote popular vote win. I know the popular vote's not a thing, but it is some measure of the actual sentiment in the country, how they actually feel about the two candidates. What happens to their entire narrative when Donald Trump wins by 12 million on the low end? That means they don't have any kind of majority support pretty much anywhere. The communists almost would have been smarter to not go for this huge popular vote advantage and just say, yeah, you know, Biden just won by a little bit in these states and that's just how it is. But they don't want that. They can't use that. They need to say Biden won by seven million. So it's not even close. Like, even if all this stuff you say about election fraud is true, Joe Biden still won by 7 million popular votes. This is what the country wants. This represents the will of the voters, as Katie Hobbs says in Maricopa County. This accurately reflects the will of the voters. We're going to find out that's not true at all. Now, let's switch subjects. This is an article from the Daily Telegraph yesterday. Australian researchers stunning COVID origin find. 
A team of Australian researchers have published a scientific paper proving that the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus appears to be best adapted to attack human cells, raising even more questions about the pandemic's origins. The scientists from Flinders University and Latrobe used powerful computers to model the protein receptors in a number of animal species to see how the coronavirus's spike protein attached itself to them. The theory was that if the coronavirus attached itself readily to an animal like a bat or a pangolin, it would have likely been the species that the bug used to make its leap into the human population. However, the modeling found that the coronavirus's spike protein was best suited to attack protein receptors in humans. The computer modeling found the virus's ability to bind to the bat ACE2 protein was poor relative to its ability to bind human cells said Flinders University epidemiologist and vaccine researcher, Professor Nikolai Petrovsky. This argues against the virus being transmitted directly from bats to humans. Hence, if the virus has a natural source, it could only have come to humans via an intermediary species, which has yet to be found. While the researchers also found that the coronavirus could attach relatively easily to pangolins, as well as domestic animals like cats and dogs, the findings will add weight to the increasingly repeated charge that the coronavirus escaped the controversial Wuhan Institute of Virology in an accident involving gain-of-function research. Overall, putting aside the intriguing pangolin ACE2 results, our study showed that the COVID-19 virus was very well adapted to infect humans, Professor Petrovsky said. Studies such as this one are also being increasingly looked at in light of what appears to have been an orchestrated campaign to suppress any science that would implicate the Wuhan lab. Early on in the pandemic, a number of scientists signed an open letter to one of the world's most prestigious medical journals, The Lancet, attacking what they called conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. The letter was used by media organizations as well as Internet platforms such as Facebook and Twitter to justify censoring any discussion of the so-called lab leak theory as misinformation or fake news. However, it was later revealed that one of the letter's chief organizers was British scientist Peter Daszak, who ran a New York-based health organization that was responsible for funneling millions of dollars to researchers in China, including at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, to examine bat coronaviruses. The paper... In silico comparison of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein ACE2 binding affinities across species and implications for virus origin appears in the journal Scientific Reports. So what we have here is another piece of evidence that the virus did not occur naturally and was in fact designed to affect humans. And this is going to be probably in the pretty near future, the next step in this narrative, I believe. Because if the virus was designed in the laboratory to infect humans, and it was either accidentally leaked from the laboratory or intentionally put out there as a bioweapon, at some point we have to start thinking about all the things we were told about who specifically this virus affects and how that's supported by the data. We know that certain people are more affected by COVID-19 than other people are. We are told, for instance, that it affects black people more than white people. We know for a fact 
that it is most deadly to older people and people with significant comorbidities, although all of that should be in doubt just based on what we know about testing, including false positives, when tests were taken, the fact that people who were murdered or died in motorcycle accidents were counted among the COVID deaths. But assuming that all of that were actually true, we still have these narratives. What does it mean that a lab-created virus is more harmful to black people more harmful to the elderly. And on some level, of course, every sickness is going to affect the elderly and people with weaker immune systems more severely. But we spent half of last year being told that COVID was racist. And if we didn't wear masks or agree to lockdowns, if we said anything in opposition to the main COVID narrative, then we were racist by diminishing the importance of a disease that primarily affected black people. But if the disease was designed in a lab, how is it that it just so happens the disease they created is a racist disease? Tell me that. Somebody actually did make a decision on what this virus would be if it was designed. Even if it's just a innocuous product of gain of function research. It still has the effect it has and it was designed. So what are we supposed to think about that exactly? So who decided that part? Commies? I bet it wasn't Donald Trump. Bet it wasn't America first, people. Bet it wasn't QAnon. It was Fauci and Francis Collins and Peter Daszak and the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army. Why do I know that? Because those are all the people that were supporting the gain-of-function research that created the virus. Get it, commies? That's not a great position for you to be in. Don't you think maybe it would be a good idea to start distancing yourself from Fauci, from the insane COVID agenda? But no, 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 that's not going to be good enough. Now we have communists on the Internet, on Twitter and in state media from around the world telling us how very dangerous The new Delta Plus variant is. Now it's not just the Delta variant. I've actually seen it called the Delta Plus variant. And what is that plus supposed to mean? Oh, it's the Delta variant, but with a side of extra deadly. And they are piling on with the propaganda. There was a tweet this morning. It's posted in the info stream right now. If you'd like to see it for yourself, But it's from an outlet called Insider Paper, something I have never heard of, but is nonetheless verified on Twitter. New, the U.S. has just one month to act before it becomes full-blown Delta variant dominant. One month to slow it down. One month to fully vaccinate, an epidemiologist and American scientist says. 
the picture that's accompanying that tweet looks like something out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's some guy in a very scary gas mask. The Delta variant. It's going to become full-blown dominant. And I guess that means that we are expected to believe that the Delta variant has become more prevalent than the original COVID variant. And because of that, we need to be completely scared that there will, in fact, be a new wave of a Delta variant pandemic. They really are going to try this and they have to try it. What other choice do they have? The WHO came out this weekend with a statement that people should revert to mask wearing because of this very deadly variant. Even if you're vaccinated. There is still no proof in the entire world that masks work at all. But the WHO is coming out and telling people to mask up. Because of this variant. Now, I wrote this on Gab today, and I want to share it because I think that this really gets to the heart of what the problem is here. Okay, so if the Delta variant was twice as deadly as the original OG COVID. It would still only kill one out of a thousand people, almost all of them over 70 years old and with multiple comorbidities. That is what Every statistic the entire time has said and has shown. And even Anthony Fauci last March wrote in a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine that the infection fatality rate of COVID would be substantially less than 1%. And we find out it's actually less than one-tenth of 1%. But there has never been a time where the numbers actually said COVID was any more dangerous than a standard flu. And the fact that the flu has completely disappeared should tell people a little something about that. And even those death statistics are based on all of these false positives. Cases that we know simply do not exist. But going by the official CDC stats, the IFR is still about a tenth of a percent, right? So if the Delta variant were twice as deadly as OG COVID, masks would still not work and lockdowns would still not work at all, right? The disease getting deadlier doesn't make these totally ineffective mitigation strategies any more effective. But they are going to try to convince people that somehow now we have to go back and do these ineffective things just because we know that this variant is very dangerous. If the Delta variant was twice as deadly as OG COVID and the vaccines worked, then the Delta variant would be even less deadly than OG COVID for those vaccinated people, right? So they have no reason to be scared. It was already only one in a thousand. All of them, almost all of them, over 70 years old and with multiple comorbidities. The average is four 
comorbidities. Four, for 95% of the COVID deaths, over 70, average of four comorbidities. That's who the disease was killing. Now, if the vaccine works and people in those groups took it, then the Delta variant would be less deadly among those people. Last year, we didn't have the very effective vaccine. If we're going to believe the public health community and think that these vaccines are somehow effective against the coronavirus, then the Delta variant, even if it was twice as deadly as OG COVID, should still be way less deadly because of all the vaccinated people and all of the people who have been infected before and have natural immunity to the disease. But the thing is, that's not even what they're suggesting about the Delta variant. I haven't seen it say said anywhere that the Delta variant is twice as deadly as OG COVID. No one's saying that. They're saying it's more transmissible, which obviously any thinking person would have their doubts about. They tried to make us believe that it's super deadly by showing us scary pictures from India. Of course, those pictures were years old and from other things. Just stock hospital images, just stock people dead in the street images. We're supposed to believe that. But they're not even saying it's more deadly. We're supposed to come to that conclusion on our own. This is how so many of the propaganda narratives are created. They give certain bits of information that will lead to their conclusion, their desired conclusion, without stating the desired conclusion. We're just supposed to believe that because they're saying this variant is more transmissible, then that means it's more deadly because more people are likely to get it. But how can that be true? We've already had tens and tens of millions of people either get the virus or get the vaccine. They should be trying to convince people like us who don't believe the COVID narrative and are not interested in getting the vaccine, that somehow we are under threat. But really, all they're doing is convincing the commies that they need to go back to their militant stance on all things coronavirus. They really are aiming at try to, trying to lock down again. In fact, this is happening in Australia now. I just read a little piece today about how there are these people outside hanging out, enjoying their weekend at Bondi Beach in Australia, and that because they're out there disobeying the strict lockdown orders that were instituted, now they're all super concerned that there's going to be this massive outbreak as if it's the United States in April of 2020. How could anyone believe this? They have claimed that we would have outbreaks after every single softening of restrictions around this country and around everywhere else in the world. Georgia reopened some stores. They ended their, you know, two or three week lockdown, whatever it was last spring. They ended it in early May and Amanda Mall in the Atlantic told us that it was an experiment in human sacrifice. 
And that sort of narrative was repeated over and over and over again. Ron DeSantis fully opened Florida at the end of last September. That's a full nine months ago. They've had football and baseball stadiums opened. They've had concerts and festivals. There has been no spike, no massive new outbreak, no second wave. Because that's not how the disease works. And it's never worked that way. Trying to spin that narrative in almost July of 2021, that narrative died 14 months ago or more. I mean, to a lot of us, that narrative was never really alive. But they're still trying it. And you can imagine that what they're going to do is try all sorts of different methods to make this Delta variant sound very, very deadly. And eventually hope that just all of these different narratives, just the collection of them will lead people to believe, oh yeah, something must be going on. Like maybe it's not as bad as they say, but man, I sure am hearing it a lot. So it must be kind of right. That's what they're going for. But the thing about the central narrative is that it's never right. It's basically a handbook of what not to believe. But back to this virus being designed in the lab. National Pulse today, Natalie Winters. Hunter Biden invested in the pandemic firm collaborating with EcoHealth and the Wuhan lab. Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners, an investment firm led by Hunter Biden, was a lead financial backer of MetaBiota, a pandemic tracking and response firm that has partnered with Peter Daszak's EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners was an offshoot of Rosemont Capital, an investment fund founded by Biden and John Kerry's stepson in 2009 that counted Biden as a managing director. Among the companies listed on archived versions of the firm's portfolio is Metabiota, a San Francisco-based company that purports to detect, track, and analyze emerging infectious diseases the National Pulse can reveal. Financial reports reveal that RSTP led the company's first round of funding, which amounted to $30 million. Former managing director and co-founder of RSTP, Neil Callahan, a name that appears many times on Hunter Biden's hard drive, also sits on Metabiota's board of advisors. Since 2014, Metabiota has been a partner of EcoHealth Alliance as part of the U.S. Agency for International Development's PREDICT project which seeks to predict and prevent global emerging disease threats. As part of this effort, researchers from Metabiota, EcoHealth Alliance, and the Wuhan Institute of Virology collaborated on a study relating to bat infectious diseases in China. Sensitive and broadly reactive RT-PCR assays were performed at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, Chinese Academy of Sciences, the paper notes. The proximity between Hunter Biden and COVID-19's origins are almost too convenient. Among the researchers listed on the aforementioned 2014 paper are Bat Lady, Xi Jingli, and the director of the Center for Emerging Infectious Diseases at the Chinese Communist Party's Wuhan lab. The disgraced Peter Daszak, recently recused from the Lancet COVID-19 Commission due to several conflicts of interest as a longtime collaborator of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, is also listed as an author. Dashik is also a figure central to the potential origins of COVID-19. His EcoHealth Alliance funneled taxpayer dollars from Anthony Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases to collaborate on bat coronavirus research in Wuhan. 
Researchers from EcoHealth Alliance and Metabiota have also collaborated on presentations on how to live safely with bats and studies linking emergent infectious disease outbreaks to wildlife trade facilities, including wet markets. Wildlife trade can facilitate zoonotic disease transmission and represents a threat to human health and economies in Asia, highlighted by the 2003 SARS coronavirus outbreak, where a Chinese wildlife market facilitated pathogen transmission, the 2016 paper notes. Researchers from Metabiota have also listed alongside EcoHealth Alliance personnel on a 2014 study on Hennepa virus spillover, 2014 study on Ebola monitoring, 2015 study focusing on herpes, and a 2015 study on viral diversity. Beyond the ties to EcoHealth Alliance, Metabiota has also been embroiled in controversy for bungling America's response to Ebola. An American company that bills itself as a pioneer in tracking emerging epidemics made a series of costly mistakes during the 2014 Ebola outbreak that swept across West Africa, with employees feuding with fellow responders, contributing to misdiagnosed Ebola cases, and repeatedly misreading the trajectory of the virus, an Associated Press investigation into the company found. The company reportedly made the, quote, already chaotic situation worse, end quote, prompting World Health Organization officials to criticize the company. And this is from the AP piece. Emails obtained by AP and interviews with aid workers on the ground show that some of the company's actions made an already chaotic situation worse. WHO outbreak expert Dr. Eric Bertharot wrote to colleagues in a July 17, 2014 email about misdiagnoses and total confusion at the Sierra Leone government lab Metabiota shared with Tulane University in the city of Kenema. He said there was no tracking of the samples and absolutely no control on what is being done. This is a situation that WHO can no longer endorse, he wrote. In April 2021, Joe Biden's USAID announced a new initiative spearheaded by EcoHealth Alliance to track emerging infectious diseases with pandemic potential. Also collaborating on the taxpayer-funded venture is Metabiota whose researchers have been listed as authors on papers from June 2021 relating to coronavirus surveillance in Africa. So when people say that Hunter Biden's laptop is the laptop from hell, and when I say Joe Biden is the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, this is exactly what I mean. We have Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance, being funded in 2021 by Joe Biden and they are funding Metabiota, which Hunter Biden was directly involved in. I can only imagine what this would be like if it was about Trump and he had just even uttered the word Metabiota before. He would be torn apart. People would be suggesting, oh, he has this relationship and that relationship. And that's what he really meant. Now we have direct proof of Joe Biden and his son in this situation. And we're supposed to do what? Just trust the experts? I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. 
Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!